It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I, I don't want to let the Josh Hawley thing lie because here's, you know, like... Here's where I need the Democrats to step up, because when they try to smear her, I need the Democrats to get up there and defend her just as vociferously as Lindsey Graham defended alleged attempted rapist Brett Kavanaugh. Like, I need that level of energy from the Democrats, especially when they come at her with this with this trumped up um, uh, alleged issues about uh, her sentencing on uh, for, for sex offenders um, because what Josh Hawley is doing, let's be, let's be very clear, what Josh Hawley is doing when he tries to do this um, is he's trying to get her killed. He is trying to get violence done against a Supreme Court nominee. And we know this because when these people go off making their ridiculous claims about child pornography, we know that there, some of their people show up violently um, to, to do stuff as happened to the New Hampshire pizza parlor. All right. So Sandy Rios with you this morning. The reason I played that clip this morning first is because this is the morning when uh, Judge Kataji Brown Jackson uh, is going to be, the, it's going to be the first hearing this morning in the, the U.S. Senate. This will be the day that she'll be questioned. And so she's the first uh, black female appointed uh, as a nominee for the Supreme Court. It's a big deal. Uh, President Biden made it really clear he wanted a black female and he wanted a leftist. Uh, that's what he wanted. And it sounds like that's what he got. And so as we have covered this, um, we have found out that her record is really bad on a lot of things. And I don't understand why there's no fight on it. I don't care that the Supreme Court, you know, takes business as usual. She's replacing a liberal, so it's okay that she's liberal. I think the, I think the House is on fire and we have to stop this. That's what I really think. I don't care that she's black, a female. There are so many wonderful black females uh, who could be Supreme Court justices, and it takes me back in time, really, to Janice Rogers Brown. I was in, again, I say this often, so please forgive me, but this is a part, big part of my life. When I was president of Concerned Women for America, they were, we were very much, uh, we had a whole um, department on judicial nominees, and I did a lot of debating on television on behalf of nominees like Janice Rogers Brown, uh, who was a black female, and others. And I remember sitting in Judiciary Committee meetings with Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy and uh, Pat Leahy. Uh, horrible. They were horrible men. Can you imagine? Uh, this is probably not a proud, this is not a boast. This is just, I could hardly keep my mouth shut. I really wanted to call out, like, you know, Joe, Joe, whatever his name was in the Congress who yelled out at Barack Obama, you lie. You guys are liars. Because I had studied the records of these people, and they just, they twisted everything. It's been happening for a very long time. Okay, so Joe Biden, way back then, the night before Janice Rogers Brown was to be voted on, 
uh, had some interesting things to say. Uh, could I just add before we even listen to it that he wasn't very concerned that she was a black female, the first nominee to the court? He didn't seem to be concerned about that then. It's very interesting. Let's listen. Clip three. Um, and uh, But I have no intention to filibuster somebody. It depends on who the president sends. But I could see a circumstance. Mm-hmm. For example, if he set up Edith Jones, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight, and she probably would be filibustered. What about what, Janice what a, Rogers Brown, someone else? Me, I'm, 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 I'm not, by the way, I misspoke. I misspoke. Janice Rogers Brown is what I meant to say. Oh, okay. I misspoke. Thank but, you for but, saying But wasn't she, wasn't, she just, wasn't she just confirmed, though? How do you invoke the extraordinary circumstances yes. clause of the agreement of the Gang of 14 for somebody who's just why. been confirmed? Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the, for example, she So, so what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the appellate ball game. Right. Okay. Totally different ballgame. Yeah, different ball game. And what he said, that's code for Janice Rogers Brown, was pro-life. And we can't have that, even from a black female, especially from a black female. They have to be pro-choice. They have to carry the water for white radical leftists like Joe Biden, like Ted Kennedy, like Patrick Leahy. Creepy old men. I'm sorry. They just are. All of them in their personal conduct, just uh, but in power. It's amazing. Okay, so back to, to um, Katanji Brown Jackson, whose hearing will start this morning. You just heard Ellie, uh, what's a Mistel? He's a graduate of Harvard. He's uh, on the, he's a correspondent for The Nation. Now, The Nation is a real leftist publication. You have to know that. But he also works on one of the uh, activist groups that's trying to get uh, Katanji Braxton, Jackson Brown uh, nominated. So he has a personal interest in this. Well, of course he does, because Katanji Brown Jackson, as sweet as she seems, she's got a great smile. She can be very kind, but we're learning more and more about her record. And that's why Josh Hawley is very upset about her record. And this is what it is. For the last 25 years, she has been the tip of the spear in lessening the punishments for sex predators of children. And, and it's not uh, it's not subtle. It's not hard to find. She's actually been advocating that people who are sex offenders on children are, sh- are punished too harshly. Now, the as I understand it, the Congress uh, actually set up a five year uh, sentence for people that were convicted of uh, using pornography. I'm not sure exactly the charge. It has to do with pornography and children, but a five year sentence. And she's, uh, she thinks that's just too much. It's just not kind. And that's just one of the many things that she's done. Um, so Mike Davis, who was our guest just last week, has tweeted this. He said, instead of spinning to protect her, how about, he's talking to the press, how about you try doing your jobs just this one time and actually scrutinize her record? Let's do journalism again. Uh, and so um, The left now is busily arguing that the penalties are too harsh for possession of child pornography. And um, so, uh, and we're talking about really explicit stuff here, and that's what she was doing, trying to to reduce the penalty for sex predators. It's really bizarre, and you're going to hear about that today as uh, that hearing begins, no question about it. So um, speaking of all things, you know, I was just, a lot of things came up this weekend that are uh, have to do with gender and sexual issues. I, I, in fact, this one story, 108 people have been arrested in a sting in Florida 
uh, for massive sex trafficking. It has to do with child sex, pornography, all of that, more than 100 people. But here's the, t- the, the uh, kicker, including several Disney employees and a former judge were arrested in connection with a Florida human trafficking operation on Wednesday. It's called Operation March Sadness. Appropriately named, I think, it was uh, one person who works at the Cosmic Restaurant at Walt Disney's World Tomorrowland, Shubham Malave, who is on a citizenship visa from India, working as a software developer. Ralph Lease, 45, who spent nearly four years working in IT for Disney. And so, um, and that reminds me of another story. And you know what? I actually don't think I have this story in front of me. But I think I can remember it. It's Pixar Pictures, who's part of Disney, in their uh, new movie that's going to come out of Buzz, Buzz Lightyear. Remember that. If you have kids or grandkids, you probably know about that story. It was a really cute cartoon. Uh, there's a um, homosexual kiss in the new production. And some of how it had been removed, and now gay employees at Disney are apoplectic and want it reinstated. And they're complaining that Disney's always censoring, you know, expressions of gay love in these uh, cartoons and movies they do for children. And so it's been reinstated. Just so you know, all of you Disney lovers that wear your ears and have passes and go all the time, I'm telling you, Disney has been corrupt and wicked for decades. That's why I started, personally, I decided I could not go use, go anymore more than 20 years ago. They, they produced a movie. I remember this really well. One of their movie uh, production houses produced a movie on a, a couple, a brother and sister twins who had an incestuous relationship. Yeah, I'm not kidding. And, um, and then, of course, they had cartoonists who were uh, writing in or illustrating sexual scenes that would flash into the cartoons. This was like, uh, this was in the late 90s. So think, you need to think twice, really. And so that takes me to something else, which this is really um, disturbing to me. Controversial and disturbing. Uh, Dave Rubin is a, uh, is a commentator on The Blaze, and I've listened to him uh, several times, and I really like um, I really like Dave. I like what he says. I like his manner, but um, not so much now uh, because uh, he came out with an announcement uh, over the weekend. And let's just play a little bit of it before I comment on it. This is clip six. All right, so here's the really big announcement, and this is the personal one and the life-changing one and the whole thing. And I, I know that a lot of you have uh, been asking me about this. Yes, uh, we are expanding the family, uh, but you know, I have a belief that when you do things, uh, you don't just go, you go big. So, uh, two babies, people, two babies are on the way. Uh, they both will have the same biological mother and we wanted them to have that sort of genetic connection. And right now there are two really fantastic women. And you know, it's not an easy thing to be a surrogate. This is not something people really do for money. They do it for a higher purpose, for sure. And really two absolutely amazing women are carrying our babies right now. Uh, So we have two babies, again, one from each of us biologically, but they will be connected through the egg, the genetic material of the mother. Uh, One baby will be born in August and one baby will be born in October. So they are not gonna be twins in in a technical sense. Um, but they are, they, as a, as a life, 
going forward, I think they'll be they'll really be thought of as twins because you know two months means means nothing, and they'll be in the same grade and all of that stuff. Okay, so that's just a little bit of it. He goes on for eighteen minutes. So this is his podcast on the Blaze, and he goes into great detail about uh, how they had to. Uh, he describes the process of gathering the material from himself and his partner and how they artificially inseminated and how many embryos were or babies or were lost in the process. He doesn't call it babies, uh, but how expensive it was and how they, you know, paying the surrogates and all the work. It was just amazing. But now these two gay men are going to be the proud fathers of these two babies that they each have artificially uh, inseminated the women and they have a sign coming soon, baby one and baby two. Now what's wrong with this? I could do an entire show on what's wrong with this. Let me just say, I think Lori Higgins of Illinois family Institute has pointed out some of the main, main issues and that I'm just going to use her points here rather than because I have so little time here. No one is entitled to a baby. And don't babies deserve a mother and a father just because you have money and you can buy a surrogate doesn't make you a good parent just because you're kind. You cannot replace a mother. You can't replace a mother if you're a man. And just because you choose not to use God's design to, to, to create babies, it doesn't mean that you have a right to have a baby when you accept a homosexual relationship you really do give up the right to bear a child. Instead, you you mock God by going through this process. You kill, actually, potential children by going through this process. And the mothers, the, the women that are involved in this, are not blameless either. And then here's the thing. A Prager you, Christopher Rufo, who I love, Blaze TV, are all congratulating Dave Rubin. And so is Matt Whitlock, who's a senior advisor for the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a volunteer at the Leadership Institute, and Megan Kelly and Megan McCain, all congratulating Dave Rubin and his partner. Something is amiss here. Something is really off. This is another kind of a, a really important tributary in the stream. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but let me just say this is just the opposite of God's design. This is not good. This is bad. And the other thing is uh, just a practical speech speaking. Gay people can be conservative, but why do they insist on forcing their lifestyle on us? How do we change a nation? One heart at a time. The Ministry of Preborn not only shares heartbeats, but shares hearts by loving women in crisis and leading them to Christ. When this mother came to a preborn center, she was scared and not sure she could afford another child. It was just a scary time for us, having my daughter, how that would impact our lives. When I came here, it was just so amazing to come to an environment where someone would actually pray for me and guide me through my battles that I was facing during that time. After receiving love, support, and the gospel of Christ, this mom chose life for her daughter. You can be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. For $140, sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and pictures of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com. Your gift is tax deductible. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lucinda Leslie, Acting Administrator of the U.S. Maritime Administration. Her agency works in areas involving ships and shipping, shipbuilding, port operations, vessel operations, national security and safety. Genesis 1.10 reminds us that the waterways of our world are God's creation. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Lucinda Leslie and her work on behalf of shipping in this country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with Muse and Commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Shirley Udi of Kokomo, Indiana, needed new struts for her 2002 Chrysler. The mechanic said it would cost nearly $900. Shirley is an 85-year-old widow. She lives off Social Security, barely enough money for living, much less fixing a car. But thanks to a bunch of good-hearted mechanics, Shirley was able to not only get her car fixed, but they also changed her oil and topped off her fluids. The mechanics are volunteers with God's Garage, a ministry of Crossroads Community Church. Tom Smith opened the garage back in 2018 to help single moms, veterans, and elderly folks like Shirley. The work is done free of charge. The customers, well, they just have to pay for parts, and it turns out a good many local auto parts stores were more than happy to offer discounts. That meant Shirley was able to get her car repaired for just 263 bucks, thanks to the Good Samaritans under the hood at God's Garage. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. That we have such a selective and a narrow reading of history. You know, President Zelensky may be Jewish, but he's not the only one in this who suffered during the Second World War, whose ancestors suffered, right? I mean, look at Putin. How many relatives did he lose in the siege of St. Petersburg? People don't know their history. They don't know what made Vladimir Putin. And I'm not a defend, you know, I'm not defending him. I don't need to defend Vladimir Putin. My job as a journalist is to try to understand what is the truth here. I don't like being lied to. And we're being lied to on an epic scale. When we're told your only choice is you have to be 100% with Zelensky, who's a puppet, who you can find on the Internet in black stilettos and leather pants, you know, with shirtless, doing a spoof, dancing with the stars kind of entertainment video. That's a mock of a Ukrainian group that does this kind of satanic, occult type of uh, music video. And, I mean, Zelensky was selected, like so many of our leaders. And honestly, with, with big tech 
And with election fraud these days, we don't know how many leaders all around the world have been yeah. selected for us and weren't actually voted in. But what we do know is that there are increasing problems with technology and the digitization of our world. Because look at what's happening with COVID. Look at what has happened globally. We are fighting the same battles all over the world. To pretend that this war is about Russia and Ukraine is a just a barefaced lie. Yeah. If Putin has been warning for 15 years that he is not going to stand by while the globalists take over the world, build bioweapons facilities and whatever else they're doing in Ukraine, Ukrainian yeah. oligarchs. Ukraine has been a center of money laundering for you know many of the leaders in this country for how long? Billions of U.S. dollars have been laundered through Ukraine, and we say nothing about it. These are our tax dollars. All right, that's Lara Lorgan. I played that for you last week, but um, I've been doing a lot of reading since uh, we listened to that clip, and I think Lara is on to something. Now, this, what this doesn't mean, before I even start our interview here, what this doesn't mean is that the people of Ukraine are not suffering. It doesn't mean that Vladimir Putin is not wicked in his pursuit and killing innocent people. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, Vladimir Zelensky is uh, not sincere in wanting to help his people and save them and is really earnest and trying to step up the plate and be the uh, and actually be the protector of his people. It doesn't mean that, uh, but it means that there's a lot more going on here than we can possibly imagine. Uh, remember that Vladimir uh, Vladimir Zelensky was selected by the World Economic Forum. Uh, to run for president. And if you don't believe that the World Economic Forum is now selecting national leaders, as Lara just alluded to, I remember that the uh, deputy prime minister in Canada, the one that instituted gleefully all the shutdowns of the bank accounts of the bankers, uh, is a World Economic Forum, you know, like uh, up-and-coming young leader. Uh, so Klaus Schwab, who is the head of the economic world, uh, World Economic Forum, made this statement. I want to play this before I introduce my next guest because we're going to have a really interesting discussion on the press's part in this mis- dis. Huh. I hate to use disinformation. It sounds like Soviet Union. But it's uh, lies, you know, false lies and misleading. But Klaus Schwab is uh, actually, if you'll listen carefully, bragging in this clip about we've got people all over the world in governments. Man, wink, wink, nod. It's pretty cool. Let's listen. Clip four. Um, when I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But... Um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Pres of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic right. forum. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I'm here with the president, with a young global leader, but what is important? For oh yeah, there's a lot more to that, but um, I want to just point out, and we'll, we'll get into this at, at a greater length. I want to, that's my goal. I read yesterday about someone I'd never heard of, Jacques, Jacques Atilly. 
Uh, he uh, is <laughs> behind the scenes one of the big great reset leaders, and it talks about he's an older guy, so uh, how he ushered in the uh, wins of uh, the current leader of France and the leaders, two leaders prior to that. It uh, brags about it. It's just an amazing story. So the World Economic Forum is pulling some strings, and Zelensky is part of that. So what do we do with that? And we do hear every day on our headlines, we see it on Fox News and other outlets that we we must, we hear all kinds of things about the Ukrainians, and it's very difficult to know what's true and what isn't true. Well, this article really caught my eye. Uh, it's uh, it's by uh, Elle Reynolds. She's the assistant editor at The Federalist. And uh, basically, it, the, the title is, The Press Has Lied to Drag the United States into War Before and Don't Think They Won't Do It Again. She joins us this morning. Good morning, Elle. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? I'm good. All right, so Elle, give us an example, if you will, uh, just a few examples in this particular war, the one in Ukra- between Ukraine and Russia right now, of uh, just things that we know are false, just were just false stories. Sure. So when uh, Russia first invaded Ukraine in late February, we saw lots of stories like the ghost of Kiev, this uh, this mythical fighter pilot, right, who was over the skies in Ukraine, shooting down Russians. Um, and then we later found out that that video was actually from a video game. Um, we heard the heroic story of Ukrainian troops on Snake Island who refused to surrender to the Russians and were all killed. Um, and we all you know, applauded their heroism as the story circulated, only to find out later that um, the Ukrainian military said those those troops were still alive. Um and so we've seen a lot of, like you said, I, I hate to use the term misinformation, but but really just false information that's been allowed to spread um, by a corporate press that claims to care about fighting misinformation. Uh, but the reality is they, they tend to only fight that quote unquote misinformation um, when it's actually just information from conservatives that challenges the narrative. Well, we could go on and on, couldn't we, about the lies they've told about all kinds of things here in this country, domestic things about Russian collusion and about COVID and all of this stuff. We, we're acquainted. We're acquainted. We're, no, we're used to this, uh, that the press is not our friend. But I think in terms of uh, the battle overseas right now in Ukraine, we thought that we were kind of all on the same page because we see these pictures and we do not want – a lot of us know Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian-Americans. We have connect, Ukrainian connections. My churches have connections. And so there's our hearts just go out. And, of course, Zelensky is such a, a sympathetic character, and he's made these incredible speeches. So, Ali, the interesting El, the, the interesting thing is you, you went back in time and traced kind of the history of the press on these kinds, kinds of international conflicts. And you go back way back to the Spanish-American War, and I just think this is a little bit of history that helps us to understand that the press lying to us is really not anything new. Why don't you first talk about the... Uh, you know you have to tell the story because nobody knows anything about the Spanish-American War if they went to American <laughs> schools. So help us, Elle. Sure. Well, um, it at the turn of the century, around 1898, um, was just when the American press, it was shortly after the rise of the penny press, so people could get a newspaper at a newspaper stand. Uh, and it was what everyone called yellow journalism. It was a sensational journalism designed to sell papers. And so in 1898, there was a mysterious explosion on uh, the U.S. battleship, the Maine, that was in the harbor in Havana, Cuba. And uh, immediately, 
Americans rushed to blame the Spanish, who who had ownership of Cuba at the time, uh, and then the the corporate press um, just immediately launched all of these sensational headlines about um, how the the Maine's explosion was Spanish treachery and it was the work of an enemy. And, and this was in February 1898. And shortly after, in April, uh, the president declared war on Spain. We fought the Spanish uh, in Cuba and then we ended the war victorious and came away with, with a couple of, um, of territories as well, from Guam to Puerto Rico to the Philippines. Um, and so this is an example of, of the press kind of ginning up this this propaganda, this, this excitement, this sensationalism about war. Um, and of course, the, the press wasn't the only factor, um, but it was part of what, what helped propel the United States into, into war. And Elle, we just to give this is this is a kind of a fascinating part of American history because William Randolph Hearst was who was the big newspaper magnet uh, was part of ginning up that story because he wanted to sell papers and he was also in this big con- con- um, uh, competition with uh, Joseph Pulitzer, who we all we know his last name, but we don't know that he was once a newspaper man. Most people don't know that, and they got into sort of a. a uh, a fight over headlines and sensationalism, and they caused them to uh, really start uh, misreporting and exaggerating, and that that contributed to this too. But there's other issues, like other conflicts that you trace, like in World War One. Tell us a little bit about how the newspapers misled people there, like sure. 1917. So, uh, we'll move. I better give a number to it. So this would be like 20 <laughs> years later in 1917. So in World War One. We have Ernest Hemingway, the, the famous author, uh, criticizing writers who who downplayed the the conflict as part of um, uh, maybe a um, desire to to keep the United States invested and involved. Downplayed um, what was all the carnage that was happening. Uh, we also have George Orwell, another famous writer, uh, who fought along Republican forces in the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s, uh, criticizing the press for reporting battles where there had been no fighting and uh, not reporting anything when there had been large battles. Uh, and then Ashley Rinsberg, who's, who's an author of a book called The Gray Lady Winked, uh, written a, about the New York Times and it, its history of, of misrepresentation, uh, also written about how New York Times bureau chiefs in Berlin and in Moscow in the 1930s misrepresented uh, what was going on under you know, up-and-coming um, Nazi leader Hitler in, in Germany and, and provided friendly coverage of the horrific things that he was doing and then provided friendly coverage of Joseph Stalin because the New York Times was pushing for Americans to recognize the Soviet Union. So we've seen throughout the course of the 20th century uh, the press kind of picking sides. And, and we see it again now. I mean, even outside of Ukraine, we, we just had validation from the New York Times that Hunter Biden's laptop, that story that the New York Post broke in October of 2020, uh, was actually real, even though at the time, right before the, the presidential election, uh, all of the corporate press and, and big tech suppressed that story and called it false. And now we've all been vindicated that it, that it was true. Well, it's, it's tough. And I, I, now, let me go back in your article. Because um, it seems to me, without being an expert on this, it seems to me like uh, the Randolph Hearst thing and the Pulitzer thing was uh, kind of a competition of 
of uh, uh, magnets, these guys, these uh, these uh, oh, newspaper magnets who wanted to, they were fighting, you know, to get their circulation and make their paper more popular, but does get more insidious. I think when you move into the New York Times, I, I want to read this because this is fascinating to me. You report that, you mentioned this just now, but I want to go back and sit on it for a second. George Orwell, or remember everyone listening, wrote 1984. Uh, it's just very interesting. And uh, he did fight in the Spanish-American War, and he wrote in his memoir, I'm gonna, I'll just mention this, but I want to read it, homage to Catalonia, that for the first time I saw newspaper reporters which did not bear any relation, newspaper reports, which did not bear any relation to the facts, not even the relationship which is implied in an ordinary lie. I saw great battles reported where there had been no fighting and complete silence where hundreds of men had been killed. I saw troops who had fought bravely denounced as cowards and traitors and others who had never seen a shot fired hailed as heroes of imaginary victories. And I saw newspapers in London retelling these lies and eager intellectuals building emotional superstructures over events that never happened. It's really kind of amazing. And uh, the fact that, you know, Orwell wrote 1984 to kind of go into that world of spin and manipulation, mental manipulation, it makes, I think, his words really have some importance here. And now let me mention something else. The New York Times goes back a long way with communist influence. Yes, they did all they could to help Stalin. They did all they could do to help uh, Hitler. Uh, they have been a bad egg, a rotten egg, uh, since, uh, well, since they're pretty much since their founding, maybe not the beginning. I'm not sure about the very beginnings. And they have lied uh, and been the lead. They've been the lead paper in the United States for decades now. Uh, so um, how how do you now? You've read this now. How do, how does this help you listen and read the news, Al? How can you tell? How can a person tell what's real and what isn't? Sure. Well, when you know when you when you go on Twitter, if you have the misfortune of, of being on on that platform, um, you'll see in like the trending bar, it'll say you know fact checkers report that such and such is false or such and such is true. And I'm in the habit of, of when I see that, generally assuming that the opposite is the case. Um, but I think it's just important um, when you see when you see headlines, when you see uh, quick takes from from newspapers and, and from media people. It's important um, to ask why why is why does this person why does this newspaper want me to take away um, what they're telling me from this? And, and a good example is um, quickly we've seen we've seen a seconds. lot of uh, polls saying that Americans support a no-fly zone in Ukraine. Um, but if you compare that to the number of people who don't want to go to war with Russia and Ukraine, um, the media pollsters who are asking those questions aren't asking them fairly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also if you see a bunch of them printing the same thing all over once, the same message, you know, look out. L. Reynolds, this is a great article. The press has lied to uh, drag the U.S. into a war before and don't think they won't do it again. We'll put that on our Getter page so you can read it because it's really very interesting. Al, thanks so much. Al Reynolds, assistant editor of The Federalist. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning. Washington Watch. This is a crisis of our own making, and that hard-nosed determination to not admit it for political reasons is just really, truly disheartening. Yeah, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but on this particular issue, the contrast between the policies of the two administrations could not be sharper. As I've mentioned here on the program many times, I was at the border a little over a year ago. It was like a ghost town. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evenings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. Watching her ultrasound, Shauna knew something was different about her baby. 
What she didn't know was how miraculous her child would be. Next time on Focus on the Family, the joys and challenges of raising a child with Down syndrome. It's an inspiring pro-life program next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines socialism as an economic system in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. The distribution of goods are controlled by the state. It is a system where there is no private property. A stage of society, in Marxist theory, transitional between capitalism and communism. American socialists put the descriptor democratic in front of socialism because they hope to persuade you to vote for the elimination of private property. Make no mistake, socialism is socialism. There is no kinder, gentler form of it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. We've always had an interest. God has given us a gift of being able to help a lot of people with their finances and budgets and stuff. AFA supporters Bernie and Alice Larson met Dan Celia at a Faith, Family, and Finance town hall meeting. And he answered some questions, and we were thinking about the charitable gift annuities, and we'd never heard of that before, but we thought, well, we'd always wanted to leave some of our money with for God, but we didn't know where or how. And it, we felt like this was put into our laps as answer to our prayers as to what we could do after we're gone. Bernie and Alice learned a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation would provide them with a monthly income for life as well as supporting the American Family Association into the future. You can learn more about charitable gift annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. And uh, you just can't outgive God. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Senate hearings begin today on President Biden's nominee to be the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Judge Katanya Brown-Jackson. Since a few Republican senators supported her recent appointment to the D.C. Appeals Court, this process is expected to be mostly a formality. That should not be the case. For one thing, Judge Brown-Jackson is a longtime radical leftist activist. She has publicly professed being inspired by the Mao strategy for dividing and conquering America known as critical race theory the divisive and ahistorical 1619 project, and seditious Black Lives Matter protests. There is, of course, a place for adherence to such sentiments in a free society, but it's not on the U.S. Supreme Court. For another, as Dr. Carol Swain observes, a nomination process that explicitly was limited to black female candidates violates the Constitution. That's a problem, too. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. There was a slam-bang debate between the Republican Senate primary uh, candidates in Ohio. I believe it was Friday night. Yeah, Friday night. It was uh, sponsored by FreedomWorks. Uh, The candidates are investment banker Mike Gibbons, uh, Josh Mandel, who's the former state treasurer there in the top two. They're kind of back and forth. I think uh, Gibbons has moved into the lead. 
Uh, J.D. Vance, uh, the author that Tucker Carlson is pushing, is one of them. Ohio GOP chairwoman Jane, Tim- Jane Timken and Matt Dolan, state senator and part owner of the Cleveland Guardian. So they were all on stage, and uh, then there was quite an argument between Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons. Um, but my question before we uh, I say any more about this is, were any of you there? I mean, a lot of you are from Ohio, and it would I would really uh, – I don't just – want you to say, yeah, I was there, it was great, or I, wa- I want you to, if you have an opinion about what you saw with the argument of Josh Mandel and Baker Mike Gibbons, if you have some background, some understanding and impression, I would put you on the air because I, I have a lot of other news here, but I, I think that's, you, you're the experts. It's 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And while we wait to see if anybody was there or has a comment about that, I want to tell you a couple of other things. The Babylon Bee... I remember that um, Seth Dillon was with us just a couple of oh, a couple of months ago, or maybe a month ago. So they have they have a story, and this this story. Sorry, this just makes me laugh. They have a story. They're reporting that ninety nine percent of Americans support sending Mitt Romney to fight in Ukraine. So there's that. Ninety nine percent of Americans support sending Mitt Romney to fight in Ukraine. So there's that little story, and then there's another story because. Um, U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health Rachel Levine uh, was, you know, uh, the what the, I think it was Tom, uh, Newsweek's woman of the woman of the year. She's the he's she the, he is the one who wears baby doll dresses and carries a little purse and looks like a man because he's a man. And so they so Babylon B decided. <laughs> to make Rachel Levine their man of the year. And they put a picture of him in a dress on their cover, and then they got banned from Twitter. Twitter's really upset about them. So they rule it, They said it was hateful conduct. And so, uh, but Seth Dillon is pushing back and says, you know, he, he's saying to people, don't ever censor yourself. Insist that two and four make four, even if Twitter tries to compel you to say otherwise. Make them bat, ban tens of millions of us. And I think he's right, so... Rachel Levin is the man of the year uh, for uh, for Babylon B. And then another story that's actually a good, really cool story I watched this morning. This was on Fox, and so maybe some of you saw it. Uh, there was a state trooper in Florida outside of Tampa who stopped to— uh, there was a guy walking down the side of the highway. And so the trooper goes over to say, "You can't. You, this is dangerous. You can't do that in the process— uh, the 24-year-old Alexander Hernandez Delgada starts beating on the officer, and the, you can hear them off camera fighting. And what? Guess what happens? Well, all of these trucks and cars pull over, and citizens run to the aid of the state trooper. They run to his aid, and it's not just one; it's several, and they're from both sides of the highway. This is an interstate. I just think that's amazing, and that's probably what it's going to take to stop, to get people to stop, um, you know, treating our police and our state troopers with such disrespect and disregard. And one last thing that's funny, before I will take this call, um, Republican National Committee, (laughs) they have a voter initiative. They're registering people to vote at gas stations in Arizona because the prices are going up so late. They've just organized, you know, a voter registration, and that could be done anywhere. And, you know, that's probably a good idea. I'm sure you know about those stickers uh, that are being sold, that are being placed on gas pumps uh, with Joe Biden's face and this little caption, I did this. 
Yeah, so um, that's what Republicans are doing uh, around the country. All right, uh, in Ohio, before I go to the phones here, there was a debate on Friday night, and it was between uh, the candidates for Senate, and they the two top runners are Josh Mandel and uh, investment banker Mike Gibbons, and they really got into it. I want you to hear just a little bit of it before I go to Kathy in Ohio, who has something to tell us about that little interchange. Let's listen. I can you tell filed you filed that I, with the Federal Elections Commission. You well, own stock I, in Chinese Petro. I personally didn't buy the stock. You uh, made millions off it, sir. I don't think I made millions off of anything. I'd love to have made millions off of Chinese Petro. Uh, first of all, Shanghai Shenda and buying, Chinese Petro. Buying a second. Right, you may not understand this because you've I never been in the private. No, you don't. I do. You've never been in the I private sector it. in your entire life. All right, entire Jeff, I've worked, sir. Josh. Squat, Jeff. Two tours in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Don't tell me I haven't worked. You don't know squat. Okay, right? You don't know squat. Two tours in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Back off, buddy. You're gonna you back off. Oh, my Never. That'll happen. Sit down. Never. Watch. Watch. We'll square it away with the wrong dude. No, no, no. You're dealing with the wrong guy. You watch what happens. You watch what happens. All right, guys. All right, so that's J.D. Vance telling Josh Mandel to sit down. Uh, so that's uh, that's kind of how it developed. Now, you just hear a clip of something like that. You have no di- idea of the context. You have to be very careful about making judgments on either side. I have some thoughts about it. But Kathy in Ohio was there, and uh, I want to talk to her. So, Kathy, thanks so much for calling in. What in the world was that all about? Well, each candidate was given an opportunity to talk. And uh, it was Josh Mandel that um, stood up on his time and uh, kind of flew into Gibbons, and it was over his investments. Um, I uh, went to the evening um, thinking I liked Gibbons, but uh, left thinking I like Jane Temkin. Uh, I thought that Josh Mandel was kind of ready to pick a fight, and even every time they got up, uh, they were able to give each other a, a time to counter the points that were made. The audience at the end was over Mandel. We were going, oh, come on. It was the same old thing. He was hitting on Gibbons all the time. But but that did not make you sympathetic to Gibbons? Uh, no, because of other questions that were asked and, uh, you know, about um, critical race theory, uh, things of that nature with the schools, then um, I didn't feel that Gibbons had um, versed himself on those issues. You know, Kathy, my, well, for what it's worth, and again, I just have an impression. I wasn't there. My impression of Mike Gibbons in that exchange, I didn't understand why Josh was in his face like that. I thought maybe something led up to that, but evidently not, based on what you're saying here. Uh, Mike Gibbons seemed so, um, uh, just a little too calm. The accusations that Josh brought to him were pretty serious about uh, uh, investments in China, enriching himself in China. I don't know anything about that. I didn't. I didn't buy those stocks. I didn't. It was too smooth. That bothered me. I thought there's something there, and I, I wondered if Josh got so agitated because Gibbons was really. Um, he was. Uh, this is my impression. He seemed very uh, a little too smooth. Like there's probably something there, and uh, I'm guessing that Josh might have gotten frustrated because he couldn't really put a dent into it because Gibbons was so glib about it. I don't know anything about that. Other people invest. My, I don't know. Several stocks. There were several stocks that um, Josh Mandel brought to the surface each time he got up. 
But Gibbons came back and said, you don't understand that those stocks aren't actually purchasing from China. So I don't understand all of the uh, ins and outs of that either. But it did seem like uh, Josh Mandel was trying to make a point, yes. And he had done some research on Gibbons Investments. Yes, I do agree with that. Yeah. And probably didn't have the expertise to uh, fight back when Gibbons said there's nothing to it. And I, I so I, you know, that's just my assumption. I think also did did Mike Gibbons not say that he w- would have supported that big spending bill that was just passed? I think he was asked, "Would he?" I don't recall uh, th- that. I don't recall that. Don't yeah, recall he. That. Well, he did. I. I look, uh, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure. It, it maybe it was the uh, the part of it that. I'm sorry, I, w- I should be more specific, Kathy, too, because I listened very carefully. I, f- I found a longer clip, but it wasn't very long. And so, um, I, but he was asked if he would have supported uh, this big, the, the further spending to Ukraine, and that was part of the big spending bill, and he said, yes, I would support that. That was a red flag to me. Yes, uh, but, I think you're right about that, because he has a son in the military. Yes. That's right. He did say yes. that. You're right. You're right. That's right. Well, listen, yes. uh, so, so do you, who do you think the winner was that night, uh, Friday night? Well, in my opinion, I walked out with Jane Timken. I felt Jane Timken had done her research. She is an attorney. She presented herself very well. And, um, and I'm in education, and uh, she was getting to the heart of the critical race theory with grants coming out of D.C. to the schools. She also talked about the uh, Buckeye uh, School Board Association of School Board Administrators and that they called uh, parents uh, terrorists. So um, those things hit home for me. Yeah, right. Well, they will for a lot of people. So that's that's very interesting. Okay, Kathy. Well, stay tuned because you gotta you gotta you guys have to listen real hard uh, to your candidates. It's always I have to tell you, this is something that always happens, especially to conservatives, the broad spectrum of conservatives. They they we have too many of them in the race. No one to they're like cats. So they can't be herded, and so. You never quite know who the real deal is. It takes like the wisdom of Solomon, you know, to pick the right candidate, and then the vote is split. And then, but the the left the leftists are always unified. They have one candidate, and that's what causes a lot of good people to be defeated. So, uh, I'll just pray that you guys uh, have the wisdom of Solomon. What else can I say? As you try to choose your candidate, because it's so important, as you know. Hey, Kathy, thank you, thank you for your time, and thanks for calling and telling us what went on there. Bye-bye. All right. All right, so um, so there you go. There are lots of good things happening. People are trying to be active, but we have to be smart in our activism. And uh, Josh Mandel has been uh, the favored candidate for a long time. He was in the last race. I don't know. <clears throat> I, I have no explanation for that that outburst. I don't. I can't. But I guess uh, you're going to have to stay with it and listen to get a better viewpoint. You have to vet people over time. Because uh, sometimes people can perform really well in one uh, um, in one exchange. You learn that in the presidential debates, and then the next time they can be incredible. So you can't you can't judge anybody on one performance, and so you're going to have to vet all of them very carefully. Well, this reminds me with the few minutes that we have left here. I'm wondering. I'm going to go back to this. I'm just going because I want to. I just feel like I didn't wasn't finished with this. I only have a couple of minutes left, but. This whole business of um, Dave Rubin coming out on uh, Blaze, his program on Blaze, describing in great detail how he and his gay lover, 
partner. I don't know if they're married or not. I guess they are. Who knows? <clears throat> have artificially inseminated a woman with each of their uh, DNA. So they have each have they have two separate babies, and they're going to be raised together by these two fathers. And uh, talking about how expensive it was, about the surrogate mom, about the artificial process, about how many fertilized eggs were lost. It's just so glib. It sounds like such a financial transaction. It sounds so devoid of the natural, uh, the natural procreation that God designed of a man loving a woman and uh, a woman loving a man and uh, their union uh, physically that is not in a tube and uh, that brings forth a child that's part of both of them. This is such a perversion of that. I, I it, this really bothers me, and it bothers me that that PragerU and Chris Rufo, who is such a so great on critical race theory. Uh, and that the Blaze TV, Glenn Beck, um, had did an interview with Dave, was not critical at all. I'm sure it's very awkward for them. But listen, it's time to kind of draw a line on these things. Matt Whitlock, who works, uh, he's a volunteer faculty member at the Leadership Institute. That's a place in D.C. that trains young leaders all over the country. Uh, Megan McCain and Megan uh, McKelly, I'm not surprised by them. They they're both they both are have been really bad uh, in terms of the moral issues on homosexuality for a long time. Uh, but uh, I just think this is a very serious problem. And the other point that I'd like to tr- make in just the short period I have here is that this is what I see happening all the time among uh, LGBT persons who are conservative. And there are lots of them. And uh, I I've, I've would argue that they could certainly be part, uh, you know, we can't have a moral test. Uh, we really can't because we're going to ask how many people are having adultery or have had affairs or married multiple times. You know, that you're going to have to be very consistent with that. But for whatever reason, LGBT persons, even the conservatives, are always, it's always their sexuality that seems to reign supreme. And they use their avenues and their influence to try to make everybody accept what they do. Why Dave Rubin's a conservative commentator. Why the need? To go through these personal details, honestly, it was pretty embarrassing, and I don't think a heterosexual would have talked in in such detail about the process as Dave Rubin did. I have a problem with that on so many levels. Okay, so there you go. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.